In this lecture, what we're going to be dealing with is bonding in alkanes and shape of alkanes, and that will lead us on to conformations, which is a very important aspect of the shape of, of alkanes. And what I want you to do, first of all, is put yourself in the position of chemists in the middle of the 19th century, let's say, who knew the following two pieces of, had the following two pieces of information. They knew the, the following things. And that was that if they made methane, they had one compound. Methane was one compound, quite simply. If they then took the hydrogens off methane and replaced those hydrogens by four different groups, R1, R2, R3, and R4, what you find is you end up with two compounds. And these two compounds differ only in that they rotate the plane of plane polarized light in different directions. One rotated it to the left and one to the right. And they couldn't understand this at all. We know these, of course, now to be optical isomers, to be enantiomers, which I no doubt you've come across. But they could not understand why simply replacing those four hydrogens by four different groups should end up with, we should end up with two different compounds. And it wasn't until 1874 when Lebel and Van Toff independently said, well, we can explain this if we assume that the carbon atom in such a species is in the center of a tetrahedron and that the groups R1, R2, R3, and R4 are at the apices, at the points on that tetrahedron. Then when you write that out, you draw a tetrahedron out like this, then what you find is that you can draw another one, which is a mirror image of that first one. And you cannot take that first one, pick it up in three-dimensional space, and move it round, and try and put it back onto the first one so that they look like the same compound. They are non-superimposable. What, what happens is you can line up maybe R1 and R2, but then you find that R3 and R4 mismatch. R3 is where R4 is on the other compound, and vice versa. And so you can't superimpose them. And so they are definitely different compounds. They have an independent existence. They can exist entirely independently. <coughs> now, before we discuss the bonding in this situation, we now have to think about a little bit about line notation because what we've done so far with line notation is draw molecules essentially on a flat plane. And we now need to draw molecules in three dimensions because a tetrahedron is a three-dimensional model, three-dimensional body, rather. And what we do is we use a form of line notation which is called the dashed line and wedge notation. And in order to do that, what you do is you put R1 and the carbon at the center of the tetrahedron and R2 in the plane of the board, let's say. And then R3 will project out of the plane of the board and behind it. And that is indicated by a dashed line. Whereas R4 will project out of the plane of the board and towards you. And that is represented by a wedge, wedged line. And there you see then the representation in three dimensions of the tetrahedral shape of that carbon. And again, you can write the two enantiomers, and if you build models of these, you can see that they are non-superimposable upon one another. Now, I said earlier on that bonds are electrons. I said in the last lecture that bonds are electrons. And therefore, we should be able to describe this shape in terms of the electrons and in terms of the orbitals. 
in which that ends. Remember, an orbital is simply a probability of finding an electron in a volume of space described by that orbital. In other words, if you say an orbital is spherical, then the probability of finding the electron in that sphere is very high. The probability of finding it outside that sphere is very small. So we say the orbital is where the electron is. <coughs> so we've got to look, first of all, at the orbitals on carbon. Well, if we have atomic carbon, what I call atomic carbon, that is carbon not bonded to anything else, then it has an electronic configuration of two electrons in a 1s orbital, two electrons in a 2s orbital, one electron in a 2px orbital, one electron in a 2py orbital, and no electrons in a 2pz orbital. But of course, when you put carbon into compounds, you make compounds from carbon, it changes its electronic configuration, and it becomes now 1s2, 2s2, sorry, 1s2, 2s1, 2px1, 2py1, and 2pz1. So that now you get, essentially, four half-filled orbitals, the 2s, the 2px, the 2py, and the 2pz. And these are the ones that make up the four, vein, the four bonds of carbon. So if we had the shape of these orbitals, we should see that we should end up with a tetrahedron. Let's see if that actually works. The 2s orbital is spherical, like all s orbitals. It's a spherical orbital. The 2bx orbital is dumbbell-shaped, like this, and is along the x-axis, an arbitrary x-axis. The 2py orbital is the same as the 2bx, dumbbell-shaped along the y-axis, and the 2bz orbital is, again, dumbbell-shaped, and is in and out of the plane of the board, if we're representing the x and y-axis as in the plane of the board, the z-axis is out of the plane of the board. And we can represent that orbital in dashed line and wedge notation if we want, like that. Now let's put those four together and put our R groups on the ends of those orbitals. And what we find is we end up with R1, R2 and R3 on bonds which are perpendicular, mutually perpendicular to one another. And R4 seems to sit right on the middle on the S orbital. Clearly this is not a tetrahedral arrangement. Now the way we tend to ex get around that problem is to say, well, what we really need is we need the bonds to be all equivalent. doesn't matter what shape they are, they need to be all the same. See, what at the moment we've got is an S orbital, which is spherical, and three different P orbitals in different directions, which are dumbbell-shaped. If we had four orbitals which were equivalent, then they should point to the only way they can remain equivalent in three-dimensional space, they should point towards the apices of a tetrahedron. And the way we make these orbitals equivalent is a process we call hybridization. That is, we take our one, our single s orbital, the 2s orbital, and we take the three 2p orbitals, and we mix them together in a melting point, if you like, and they pull out of that mix four new orbitals, which are hybrids of the s and the p. Because they contain a, a quarter s character and three quarters p character, they are called sp3 hybrid orbitals. They actually look like this, rather like distorted dumbbells. Now that, as I said, doesn't matter too much. What the important thing is, we, ended up, we end up with four equivalent orbitals from four different orbitals. And the equivalence gives us now our tetrahedral shape. 
Okay, so that's the bonding. Now we move on to something which is to do with shape, which is called conformations or conformation analysis, if you like. Let's go back to our hexane and write it out in our zigzag shape as we did before. Now you can put all the hydrogens on that chain if you want, and then you find that each methylene has one hydrogen going behind the plane of the board and one in the front and so on. And you can see that's very cumbersome. In fact, it's more cumbersome than writing CH3, CH2, CH2, etc. that we had before. So we don't really want to do that. But when you have substituents on the chain, let's say you have a hexane chain and a methyl group like this molecule, 3-methyl hexane, then it is useful to show the stereochemistry of the methyl group and the hydrogen attached to that same carbon. So we have the methyl group here. You see it's a dashed line. has nothing on the end of it, so it's a methyl group according to our line notation method. And in front of it, coming out of the plane ball, we're going to have a hydrogen. And we show, always show the hydrogen so that we represent that carbon as a tetrahedral carbon. If you just leave off the hydrogen, it looks rather odd. It doesn't show it as, as a tetrahedral unit, as it were. And now what I want to do to show conformations, I want to take this central CC bond here, and I want you to imagine what, what happens when we rotate about that bond three times 120 degrees. So we're going to go 120 degrees first in one direction, 120 degrees again in the same direction, so that's a total of 240 degrees, and then finish off going still in the same direction back to the original place we were at. And when we do that, what we, have, we find is this. We start off with this molecule here, with a hydrogen up and the methyl down. We rotate, and there's an ethyl here, which is in the same plane, certainly. We rotate by 120 degrees, and what happens <coughs> is the methyl comes into the plane, the hydrogen goes back, and the ethyl group, which was in the plane, comes out, and we end up with that. It's the same molecule, it's just that it looks different because we've rotated about the CC bond. If we do that again, 120 degrees, now we end up with the hydrogen in the plane, the methyl up and the ethyl back. And these are isomers. Remember I said isomers are compounds which have something which is the same as themselves. They, they, are, they have something in similar. They have something in common, if you like. These are isomers. They're isomers by virtue of rotation about that central CC bond. And in fact, we tend to call them rotational isomers. They can also be called rotomers, or conformational isomers, or conformers, or just simply conformations. Those names are interchangeable. You can use any of those. Perhaps the most common are conformations and conformers, but you can use those. They're all the same. Now you can say, well, if they're isomers, can I separate them? Because I know I can separate positional isomers, and I know I can separate geometrical isomers. Can I separate rotational isomers? Well, the answer is, in the main, no. There are very, very few special cases where it will. you can do that. But in the main, this is not the case, because the amount of energy required to rotate about a single bond is actually quite small. And the energy in this room is enough, in fact, to cause rotation to occur about that bond. So you may say, all right, if that's true, are they important? Surely if they're constantly rotating and interconverting, they're in equilibrium, they can't be important. 
Well, the answer is they are important. I can't show you yet exactly how important, but we shall see later on when we deal with the addition to alkenes and when we deal with the elimination from alpha halides, the conformates are very important with regard to reactivity. Very often one finds that there's only one, maybe two conformations from which reactivity actually occurs, and the rest it cannot occur, or doesn't occur to any great extent. And finally we can ask, are these conformations of equal energy? I've sort of hinted that that's not the case, and it is true they aren't of equal energy. They, some of them are slightly higher in energy than others. And in order to see that, we need to look at a simpler molecule than this, this 3-methylhexane. We need to look at butane, simple straight-chain alkane. Now, if I write butane out in the zigzag fashion, I'm going to put the methyls in this time as CH3s, or, or actually rather ME, as an alternative representation for methyl on the chain, because I want to show those when we look at the molecule in, in different different way. And in order to look at this molecule and see the conformations, we need to put the hydrogens in. So we have a dashed line hydrogen here and a wedge there and a dashed there and a wedge there on the two central columns, the two methylene groups. <coughs> now, there are two projections. That is, if you're a draftsman, a projection is a way of looking at a molecule. right? So there are two projections, there are two ways of looking at this molecule which will allow us to think about first reactivity and second energies in conformations. The first projection is very easy to devise from this zigzag form we have here. If you just take that central bond which at the moment is pointing downwards and put it horizontal, then you get this situation. The methyl there sticks up, that methyl comes down, the hydrogens are still one back, one forward, one back and one forward in each column for the methylene groups. That is known as the sawhorse projection. Sawhorse is an American term for seesaw, what we would call a seesaw, because it looks like a seesaw. If you had a pivot in the middle, those two methyl groups would be seesawing back and forth on that pivot. And that will be useful when we come to look at the elimination of alcohol halides, that particular projection. But at the moment, that's not going to be a great deal of use for us when we think about the energies of conformations. Rather, we need to look now at an alternative projection called a Newman projection of the American chemist who first decided this would be a good way of looking at these molecules. And a Newman projection is produced by actually looking along the CC bond. If I draw the arrow, draw the eyeball in there, you see that we're looking along the CC bond. And what we see then, when we look at a molecule in that way, is we see the front carbon nearest to us and we can see its substituents. The methyl group going down, the hydrogen there, which is a wedged hydrogen coming out the plane board, is to the right, and the dashed hydrogen, that one, is to the left. We can't see the carbon behind that, though, because it's hidden behind. But we can see the substituents poking up, if you like, above the perimeter of the circle representing the front carbon. And so we can put those substituents in. We've got the methyl at the back there pointing up, that hydrogen pointing to the right, that point hydrogen pointing to the left. And that is a Newman projection of butane. And we shall see in the next lecture just how we can use that projection to see how the energies of conformations differ and we can predict something about the amounts of each conformation in a molecule. So in this lecture what we've looked at is bonding and shape. We've looked at the tetrahedral shape around the central carbon. We've looked at 
the way we can represent that and we've begun to look at conformations.